Coming up on today's edition of the Locked On Leafs podcast, the Toronto Maple Leafs continue to recuperate from their road trip. So figured it's time to review the new additions and see how they've been fitting the team. This is the Locked On Leafs podcast. It's your team every day. Your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast. It's your daily fix for all things Leafs. I'm your host, David Morsuti from Sportsnet. Mike, he's likely sailing somewhere sunny and warm in the Caribbean, but I do have some help for today's show. I am pleased to be joined by a good friend of mine, Frank Stanishi, who is the host of Candid Frank Live, which you can watch on his YouTube channel, Candid Frank Live, and also on the Spanglish Sports Network. As always, Locked On These Podcasts is a daily Maple Leaf-centric podcast, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, and also make sure you catch up on video on YouTube. Make sure you go and subscribe there for your team to get your content every day. Frank, thank you very much for joining. I know you and I do a few shows together. We do a CFL show, and uh, we do a couple of these shows, and I've been looking for someone to do some podcasts with because doing these shows by myself gets a little tough so i'm really glad that i can call on you to help me <laughs> first of all i want to say thank you for having me on i i really uh appreciate the opportunity to work with you I always like working with you and and the leafs are are a team right now that uh you know it's the time of year where as excited as leaf fans are in the off season anticipating the season coming up this is the part of the season where people really start to get ratcheted yeah, and it's been it's been a weird few days because, you know, the Leafs just came off this really long road trip. And, you know, obviously some people are like, ah, I'm missing the Leafs right now. But I, I feel like if you f- realize how daunting that road trip was for this team, I think the extra few days uh, will do some very some good for them. And unfortunately, they haven't been on the ice since the end of this road trip. So we have no idea really what's going on with the team we you know we're still waiting to hear what's going on with john Tavares. um we know that ryan o'reilly is going to be out for the foreseeable future at least four weeks with that broken finger they do have the edmonton Oilers coming up on saturday we'll we'll preview that game on uh, on another show so i figured with the the time being off and the leafs not playing and we haven't had much leafs news this is a very weird and strange time where we don't have any news involving the Leafs. So I fear that now would be the time to kind of just kind of take a step back and just over, just give a nice overlook of everything that's happened the last little while. We know the Leafs were one of the busiest, if not the busiest teams at the trade deadline, making quite a few moves. It all started obviously with the Ryan O'Reilly trade and bringing in Noel Achari along with them. And then <laughs> few other trades made in that final week heading to the deadline where Kyle Dubas really did his work to try to reshape this team. So I figured, why not just go through it all? We can kind of discuss which deals maybe we have liked, which deals maybe were, now that we've kind of seen everything cut to light, was the deal worth it? I know a week might not be enough to give a full, full idea, but at least we have a few games of a sample size to really understand how things have been going lately. So, 
Um, first and foremost, um, maybe the way we'll do this is we'll, we'll start with the big trade because the Noah Charlie and Ryan O'Reilly trade was the big deal. I know that they made quite a few deals. The Jake McCabe, some might view that as the bigger trade, but I really do think that their number one trade, the one they wanted to get done was Ryan O'Reilly and Noah Chari. Based on what happened when that deal was done and how both players have kind of fit in since then, do you th- how, how have your thoughts on that trade kind of changed maybe, or has it changed at all since that deal was made? Well, why don't we – we'll talk about before the injury. Let, let's talk about how uh, – I'd like to talk about the trade and answer your question. My answer to that is very simple. Um, the trade was one that was made to get a quality centerman for $1.87 million in salary cap. Now, to get a player who's won a Stanley Cup and has that Stanley – sorry, has that Maple Leaf Gardens trophy, you know, the best player in the – in the playoffs and to win a Stanley cup to go with that, you know what you're getting when you get O'Reilly. So they got a very quality player, a real good depth player to really, I think, increase from the top four to the top five. I I, I would put him up against, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to find out for a few weeks for to be exact, but I would put him up against any of the others, any of the others, as far as, playoff hockey is concerned he's been there done that so to answer your question that in that sense they got a guy that you know that that can play in the playoffs has proven it before um the problem uh, that the leafs have had when they've made these kinds of trades is injuries we've seen it every year um you know we've seen players that they've traded for at the trade deadline maybe the next year the the same year that they've had injuries and, and they've been a little cursed a little bit Hopefully, for their sake and Leaf fans' sake, this is the O'Reilly injury with the Maple Leafs until next year. And they have him for a few years. So, you know, this is something that people shouldn't forget. This guy's going to come back with the Leafs again next year. Well, we don't know for sure because he doesn't have that contract. But do you think – that was actually going to be the next question. Do you think O'Reilly would sign a new contract with the Leafs? There's been talk about that, you know, his family's from Ontario – It'd be nice for him to stay closer to home. Do you think he would entertain? Back? Oh, <laughs> oh my, my camera just fell. Uh, that's a first on this show. We haven't had uh, anything like that happen. There you go. We got you back. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think O'Reilly would come back with the Leafs? And do you think he would take less to do it? Um, for him not to do that, it's his decision. Um, the question I have, and, and, you know, with, with, uh, you know, they, they already have a player like that. Who's taking a lot of on defense that that's taking a lot, a lot less, but he has made the the value judgment that he's made enough money. That's ultimately the question that Riley has to decide. It's about quality of life. And, and then it's about, does he have enough money and does he want to do it? The one thing he's going to do, he's going to entertain thoughts of doing that, David. There's no doubt about it. You know, if given the opportunity, free agency is a very lucrative place to be. So to answer your question, I, I'm sorry I'm answering it with, with with questions as well. It depends on how he feels financially and what's the quality of life that he thinks he can have. Like we know some players that have come to Toronto, one that retired last year in, in Spezza, this year, I should say, um, you know, will that quality of life work for him? 
Um, we'll see how it goes in the playoffs. Yeah, because and you bring up a, a good point there because it's not like Ryan O'Reilly is at the tail end of his career like a Jason Spezza and even a Mark Giordano who are well into their late 30s, early 40s. You know, Ryan O'Reilly is, I believe he's 32, 31, 32. So he's not exactly, you know, in that position where he can think about the end of his career just yet. He'll get there soon, I think. But, um, yeah, I do think that he's, you know, he is wondering – you know, is it worth it to take the discount that the Leafs will obviously would need from him to stay there? Or, you know, does the St. Louis, do the St. Louis Blues try to go back and bring him back, right? He he talked, there was that possibility too where I think they would entertain bringing him back. But you know what? Sometimes when you, when you come to a new organization and things are run a, a way that you don't envision until you get there and you see it, sometimes that may change a player's mind. They might say, you know what, I really like my time here. Sure, I might have to sacrifice in salary a little bit, but the situation, it feels comfortable because he's been a part of it. And I think that's the value when you make these trades. And I think that's exactly what happened with Mark Giordano. I don't think the Leafs knew whether or not Giordano would come back. Like they weren't. I don't know if there was that assurance, really, that he was going to stay and stick around for as long as he has and for the amount that he has. Until he got here and he realized just – it just seemed like a seamless fit. Yeah. So I, I, I guess uh, the other, I guess the other point is uh, how this playoff season goes. Mm-hmm. That could have an impact too. You know, um, I mean, I, I can almost say for sure that if they, if the, not saying they are, if they won the this, if the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, he would definitely move on, and 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 then you know because he's done something that a lot of players wish they could do and a lot of players that come to Toronto hoping they can do, um, especially the local guys. And once accomplishing that, you know, he has no debt to Toronto in that case, right? He's done everything he can. Um, you know, I don't, and I don't think repeat would be something that, that would be in his mind, even if they won the cup. I, but that's that, that to me would be a license for him to go for sure. And, and of course, you know, the cap and the group under the cap, a lot of difficulty the Leafs you know they've had difficulty with contracts already because players have had early success it hasn't been the kind of success that you know that fans want but it is the kind of success players have and then expect a return for that yeah and uh there was another player who uh the Leafs did bring a part of that deal Nola Chari who is also a pending free agent but one that the Leafs have really wanted to get for a while they had interest when he initially went to the St. Louis Blues. Fortunately, the Leafs couldn't get a deal done. And, you know, for what he has brought, I, I think if you're looking at a guy, you know, let's say they don't bring back Ryan O'Reilly, maybe the attention shifts to Anolachari. He's not the flashier player. He's not that top of the lineup player. But he does all the things at the bottom of the lineup that this Leafs team has been looking for for a long time. You can throw Lafferty in that mix as well. Because then Lafferty's a really good face-off guy. They wouldn't feel the absence. Well, we're getting we're getting rid of Riley before yeah. before we have a chance to see how he does in the playoffs. But I think you get my point, and the fans get my point. With Lafferty, you'll get you'll you'll get the face-off acumen that Riley ha- O'Reilly has, and then as you said with Ochari, you'll get a little more bite than you might get from O'Reilly. Yeah. So uh, I think we it's safe to say Noel Ochari has fit in quite nicely. I think he was a nice little cherry on top 
of that trade. Uh, the Leafs did make quite a few more trades uh, and more additions to this team, especially on the blue line. We haven't even discussed the blue line yet. So we're going to do that. But before we do, I want to talk to you about one of today's show sponsor, and that is the official sportsbook of the Locked On These podcasts, and that is the FanDuel Sportsbook. Obviously, we're now getting closer and closer to the big betting season that is March Madness. And, of course, the locked, uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook will have a bunch of different promos heading into the uh, March Madness tournament. It is America's number one sportsbook because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if you bet if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, threes drained. Even in hockey, you can play, you can bet on any, pretty much everything. How many saves a goalie has made? How many goals a player is going to score? How many shots in the game they might get? I'm somebody who likes to build multiple bets together in what they call a same game parlay. It is the better way to get a bigger payout if you use the if you use the FanDuel sportsbook app. So don't miss out on the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com/lockedon. That's FanDuel. Dot com slash locked on to learn more and make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA and the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome Thank back you. to the Locked Thank On East Podcast. David Morissuti here with Candid Franks, Denichi, a good friend of mine. And we just went through the big trade, Nolachar and Ryan O'Reilly. Now we're going to shift gears to the blue line, the second deal that was made. You already brought up Sam Lafferty. Kind of like Nola Chari, Sam Lafferty was just kind of the cherry on top of what was the Jake McCabe trade. The Leafs getting Jake McCabe from the Chicago Blackhawks along with Sam Lafferty. And the Leafs, considering what a lot of the deals that were made, the Leafs didn't have to give up too much in return for this. Obviously, Joey Anderson was moved just to make the salaries work. Uh, Pavel Gogolev, who was the... Uh, one of the other players traded. He's not even with the Blackhawks anymore. They have waived him. They have he's they've bought out his contract. He's no longer there. He actually might be coming back to the Newfoundland Groundlers. Uh, so the Leafs pretty much gave up Joey Anderson, a conditional first round pick in 2025, a second round pick in the 2026 NHL draft. We know the Leafs have traded a bunch of picks, but considering what they gave up and that they have Jake McCabe not just for this season, but for two more seasons at $2 million. And seeing how he has fit in this lineup on the top, I would call a shutdown pairing with TJ Brody, I think the Leafs have gone pretty decent value in this deal, don't you think? Absolutely. They have uh, This guy can probably play better than the guy that uh, is not playing. You know, they, they uh, have, have returned a little bite to the back end. Um, on a long-term basis, a player that can that can pass as well. You know, his first pass out of the zone is really good. So, you know, they've got a really good defenseman who's worth more than $2 million for a couple of years. So that is that is a good move. And and uh, I maintain that what uh, Kyle Dubas and company at, at uh, Maple Leaf Sports, uh, the organization, what, they, what they've learned and what they're using is the fact that they are such a rich uh, team that, they are giving away draft picks and replacing the higher pick for the best supported player. They have a great system for creating talent 
that may exist, may not exist, and does exist. A lot of organizations can't make any of those any of those in those brackets work. So I think that what they've done is is they're they're increasing the level of talent by the way they're taught, the way the players are taught, and the way they go through the system. So they've got a really good system. They're relying on that and then taking away some salary by giving up draft picks. They did that specifically in this wave of uh, signings that they've made and trades that they've made. They've, they've gone to the point where they're giving away draft picks, less about the player, more about the money. And you think about everyone talks about how Kyle Dubas went all in on this year. This is the year he's trying to go all in and try to get the Leafs to that, you know, Stanley Cup that they haven't been able to get to and out of the first round, let alone uh, just team getting a pass around has been a challenge for this team. But don't you think that having Lafferty and McCabe around Lafferty for next year, McCabe for the next two years, doesn't that make you think that Kyle Dubas still was maintaining some sort of idea on the next few years for this team and he just wasn't he wasn't totally neglecting the future with these deals yeah he's a, he he's said before and we've all noticed to him term matters and and these trades are as i said uh, along with the 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 cap savings that he's creating by draft picks he's also getting term which is something that he always wants not the same situation as in Riley and as in some other players that they've traded for but these are two relatively young players Lafferty's not not old at all and he has skills that go right they're just Dubas Maple Leaf skills he's fast he's great on the draw and he I, I know that for those of you that love numbers his numbers are pretty good too and, you know, in his first game of being promoted into that second line with Tavares and O'Reilly, Lafferty helped set up that first goal of the game. Obviously, Nylander played a little fat, little part in that as well. But you saw that he didn't. it didn't phase Lafferty to be moved up into the lineup, even though that was never the thought process of having Sam Lafferty play in the top six. So I think that's a bonus that players like this aren't afraid of that challenge and they find a way to adapt. It didn't start well. And then they eventually they got their groove together and they found a way to be effective on the ice. So I think that's, that's an, the versatility. I think that was something that Kyle Dubas really wanted. The versatility is important because some may say, Oh, why do you like, why is versatility important? Well, you lose a Tavares, you lose an O'Reilly. That's your, that's three, that's two centers you lose right there. And O'Reilly could play 2C, he could play 3C. You have to have guys that can step up in those moments. And that's something the Leafs have had troubles with. You think about when Tavares went down in the playoffs in the bubble, that had to move Alexander Kerfoot to the second-line center role, something that he hadn't really done. He didn't do a, a bad job, but you would obviously prefer John Tavares there. We saw in the playoffs not too long ago when Nazem Kadri was here, and he got suspended, and you had to find a way – to replace them. And the Leafs just did not have those guys that can fit the role there. But I think with all these trades that they made, they're, they're trying to ca to knock off as many of those, you know, as many of those scenarios as they could when it comes to injuries or absences like that. They, they want three things when they, when they have players, they, they want speed. They want centers that can win face-offs 
and and um, you know they they basically expect players that can play within the system that they have. In other words, a system that's all about puck possession. So along with that speed and the ability to hang on to the puck and and make quick decisions, those are the kinds of players that Dubas likes. And 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 he got a couple of those, and he got them for a decent price, and they fit into the system that they have. You know. It's not about how good players are, David. I, I really think when it comes to every sport, including hockey, that, that it's the kind of players you have on the team. You know, um, they were talking about Lindy Ruff on the broadcast, talking about how Lindy Ruff doesn't coach the team. He he um, he doesn't coach what he wants to coach. He coaches his team that he has. His coaching is based on the type of players he has. And so the Leafs try to do that same thing. They have a certain type of player, they have a coach, and that's the system they use. Some players that are on other teams that are far more valuable on other teams wouldn't fit into the Leafs. The same way, um, you know, players that are playing for the Leafs because of the system they play and they play it so strictly, they look better with the Leafs because it's basically what they do. We saw that so many times with some of the players that the Leafs have contracts that they've shed over the years that were players that played really well in Toronto, but they disappear or they go to another organization and, and they move on, you know, at, at Golov, Golov, <laughs> two games, one goal, he's out, you know? So, so there, there's a, there's a, an important part here when it comes to why the Leafs, I think are successful. Um, I know it's only during the regular season, but it is the organization. The organization is a very strong organization. They have people in every position to help the players be the best they can be. They're given every opportunity to be the best they can be. And and that is one of the strengths, at least, that we've witnessed under Dubas in the regular season. Yeah, and obviously you brought you brought the idea of the Leafs have, and obviously they have a system that they want to play, and they realized some of the players that they had just weren't providing the value in the certain areas that the Leafs needed. Pierre Engvall moved out for a third-round pick. Salary was a big part of that, but I think also they realized Pierre Engvall wasn't providing what Sam Lafferty could provide, what Nolachari could provide, which was better defensive play, more physicality in those in that bottom in that bottom six. And then you look at Rasmus Sandin. That was the bigger, biggest shock, I think, out of all the deals that were made. And, you know, he gets moved to Washington for a first-round pick. And Eric Gustafson, who hasn't really – I mean, look, he's been brought in as, like, the seventh defenseman. He hasn't really played in the he, role. He leads the, he leads the Leaf defense in scoring. Yeah, right now, based on, <laughs> based on, the, on, on what he did in Washington. And he went from being a top-four defenseman in Washington getting top power play – Time to now not really basically him and Rasmus Sandin flips flip positions. And I know a lot of people were talking about ah should the Leafs have made the trade in Rasmus Sandin should they have done that is it worth it just to get that first round pick and I was thinking to myself well technically for Washington they traded Dmitri Orlov for that first uh, to get that first round pick from Boston they flipped it so basically the Washington Capitals traded Dmitri Orlov for Rasmus Sandin. Um, I actually thought if the Leafs did that deal, that would have actually been a nice deal for the Leafs to me if they just made that that simple swap. But do you do you think that when you look at the Rasmus Sandin trade in particular and trading a player like that, a young player like that, who had his clearly had his opportunity blocked? I don't I, think people regret it, but do you think like it's being it's being kind of overblown a little bit, the idea of trading a player like that? 
Well, one has to put it in perspective. And the perspective you have to use in this case, under Sandine's case, uh, you know, trades aren't made the way fans want to make them, uh, you know, because every fan makes a trade. It's one-sided. There's another party in the trade in the trade situation. So what, what I know is this. I know that Kyle Dubas wanted a first-round pick or something high. He wanted to get rid of a contract. Don't forget that as well. He has to also get rid of a contract. Unfortunately, it, it's going to be somebody that another team wants, and he's going to give up the least of whatever whatever's out there. So he made a conscious decision, and, and, and I like Sandine. I think he's going to be a great defenseman. The Leafs gave up a lot. The irony is, it's funny, really. They traded for a guy with a history of being able to score on the power play, something that he was having trouble doing, and he was their most physical defenseman. I mean, I, I, he's the only one who's gotten in a fight. He He started to throw some reverse hits. He started throwing some contact. Unfortunately, a guy his size is not going to be able to do that for long. So while it looks good now, it won't look good down the road because he's going to he's going to suffer injuries because of that, because he's smaller. So as far as I could see, I think Dubas and company looked into the tea leaves and said, this is, this is the highest that this kid's going to be. Let's get what we can and, and, and bring in a guy that can help us temporarily, but we'll have that draft pick. Mm-hmm. That's and, the way I, I take it anyway. And obviously with the money that they saved by getting, by getting rid of Sandine, it allowed them to bring in Luke Shen as well. Absolutely. Sandine, that is a right shot. The Leafs have, don't have many right shots. So he is their, well, actually, if you can, if you add Connor Timmons to that, that now gives the Leafs four right shots on, in the lineup. If I did my math there correctly. So, they, they do have now that plethora of right shots that they really didn't have before. But I think when you look at it, you're more comfortable having a Luke Shen in the lineup than you are with the Connor Timmons just because of the style, the defensive play that Luke Shen brings. I know we only saw him for two games because he's now staying in Vancouver until his uh, wife gives birth to the third child. I'm sure Luke Shen is kind of anxiously waiting and hoping it doesn't go all the way to that due date that he that uh, was kind of reported out there. But I think that was also the other thing, too, is they needed to get a different type of defenseman in this lineup. It's what we talked about. It's all about chemistry. It's all about makeup. It's all about what you need. And and sometimes you just have to, you know, uh, exchange the deck chairs. You can't just move them around. You know, the, the, the problem the problem the Leafs have is that many of us, and I going back years now, uh, from the very beginning of Kyle Dubas's reign, I've felt that the Leafs have not been physical enough they have they have not had enough bite not not a not a dirty player just players who who basically rise up to ensure that the rest of the players play at their height or better uh, a lot of times what happens is the Leafs might be a little more demurred by some of the play the other thing is let's keep this in mind as well I don't think Kyle Dubas went into the trade deadline the last couple of weeks to make the trades that he made in the sense that he was going to be taking advantage or improving his lot in the playoffs. It turned out, David, in my opinion, that he had to make these trades to keep up with Tampa and Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, and, and we saw that in that playoff series last year. There was a lot of physical uh, play, and it, it takes a toll, up, and it's especially in a seven-game series, right? Sometimes you want to end those series early so you can kind of give players a chance to rest. We saw how Tampa went through that whole playoffs 
they needed eight, nine defensemen because guys were hurt. Guys were hobbling when they got to that Stanley cup final. So I think Kyle Dubas was thinking about that as well as if an injury to happen, you need to have those buys that can come in. All right. So that gives us a, a nice little wrap on all those deals and kind of where the Leafs sit. And we know it's going to take a little more time. The Leafs haven't had as much time to practice. They've been on the road. Now they're back home. They had a chance to kind of gel together more, maybe as a unit. Uh, we're going to shift gears just a little bit here in our final segment. I wanted to discuss something brought up in the NBA that I think still has some relevance with the NHL, and it actually is Toronto-related. So we're going to discuss that on the other side. And uh, this is the Locked On Leafs podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. David Morissuti joined by candid Frank Stanishi, a really good friend of mine. He's filling in while Mike is on vacation. So the trade deadline, we've kind of wrapped that all up, given our final thoughts. I'm sure we're going to be talking more about that uh, over the next little while as the Leafs gear up for their final stretch of the season. And another Toronto team that um, obviously has playoff aspirations, not in the NHL, but obviously in the NBA, and that is the Toronto Raptors. We don't usually bring up other leagues and other sports far too often, but Fred Van Vliet went on this, uh, I would call it the honest man rant uh, the night before at the end of the game against the Clippers, and he called out the officiating. And sometimes when you hear these, uh, hear players criticize the officiating, you don't hear them name a particular official by name. And Fred Van Vliet did that. He actually called out an official by name, Ben Taylor, basically saying the fish, he was terrible. He was, and he was far, I'm, I'm using conservative language in comparison to what Fred Van Vliet used. But it got me thinking a little bit here about how in the NHL, you hardly hear this type of talk from NHL players as much as you do in the NBA. Now, before I hear all the comments about how in the NBA players are drama queens, this and that, uh, they make so much money, why are they complaining? Um, I don't, I don't mind that when you know we've seen how the officiating can have an impact, not just on the calls that are made, but the calls that aren't made. I, I there's times where I kind of wish NHL players wouldn't be afraid to speak, but then you also see. Fred Van Vliet is now potentially facing a $35,000 fine. We don't know what the fine is at the moment that we're recording this. Is that something that NHL players are thinking about far too often? Is if I speak my mind, my wallet is going to feel it? Or do you feel like there's another reason? I think I think it's it's the fabric, the social fabric of both those leagues are different. Um, I, I, I understand, at least um, in my opinion, I believe the NBA cares more about what it looks like when it comes to officiating. Uh, So they're more open to questioning of the officiating simply by virtue of the fact that it's in their system where referees are judged on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, and, 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 and referees have been quite called into question and they've been publicly acknowledged as being under, you know, question under review, if you will. Uh, in the National Hockey League, there's nothing you can say to an official on the ice, off the ice, post game, uh, and 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 there's no um, there's no recourse. It seems other than the self motivated record kept by the league, the National Hockey League, in judging their officials. It isn't something in, under Gary Bettman. 
he has all the answers. The league has all the answers. They don't need to hear anything from anyone. In the NBA, uh, they they feel that the referees do make mistakes. They want to hear about it. They don't want they don't want to zoo, but they're willing to hear about it. I think that's the main difference between the two leagues, David. That's a great point you bring up because the, the NBA they send out the last two minute report where they right. go through those calls because in the in those games those final few minutes could mean a win or a loss for certain. Players. Very relevant. And it's it's such a it's such a I think I say it's a fresh a breath of fresh air that the NBA does that because it brings it brings transparency and it, it keeps the the officials accountable in a way that maybe other sports league don't tend to do it. We've seen how the NHL has made changes to the rules to help teams kind of I mean they you know try to get some of the calls right. Obviously, it's not always the case. You can't make every call perfect. Human error is a part of the game. But I think the NBA, by acknowledging that, and look, the NBA has taken a, a big hit when it comes to the officials and the integrity of officials oh, because absolutely. of scandals and stuff like that. And I, 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 what I think with this Van Vliet situation, it, it just shows how much players allow the officiating, I wouldn't say cloud their judgment, but it, it impacts their emotions. I think of far more than I think. I, and we, we've seen NHL players yell at refs, you know, complain to refs, but I don't think it, it ever gets to the point that we see it like we do in the NBA, where players they they are not afraid to to say something because they feel like there's an extra. And as Van Vliet even said, there's an extra. There's just more work to overcome the officials. It, it's already hard to win a game in the NBA. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is have to battle two teams, the team you're facing. And the officials. Yeah, the reputation of the NBA precedes it. Um, over over time, I think it less so now. That, but there was a time there when the officials called made calls because it must be a foul if it's against a star. <laughs> they had that theory a while back ago, but they're they're stepping away from that, and they should. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, the, the officiating in the NBA is, is no worse than any officiating anywhere. The reason I say that is I have yet to see a perfectly officiated game. Uh, there's always a question, but the question is, in the NBA, are the officials consistent? In the NHL, which is what we're talking about here, are the officials consistent? And and unfortunately, if there's no, um, no opportunity for the players or teams or coaches to voice their opinion in a way, even if it is public to a degree, where they call into question a bad play, I, you know, the thing is, the NBA is more bet ready than the National Hockey League is, in my opinion, because if there are questions about officiating, that affects, you know, that affects their partner, and betting's becoming a very big partner, you know, of the National Hockey League and of sports period and that's probably one of the growing pains that the national hockey league has to work out they have to make sure they have to make sure that the victories the losses are credible and as credible as possible and hiding you know making instead of transparency using opaque responses doesn't help in that regard and we we kind of we see it you know at least with the leafs it's like michael bunting is the one that always draws the ire of these fans were, you know, they feel like every every play there could be a call on Michael Bunting. We see, I see the discourse on Twitter quite a bit. And I, I know a lot of other people are just like, well, Michael Bunting shouldn't be complaining as much because that's just going to make, and I made this point myself and saying, maybe once in a while you kind of have to just let it go 
because if you continue to complain, you're just going to give the you're you're gonna you're gonna end up in a set in the book of the refs, right? Instead of in the good graces of them, you and I, I feel like that's wrong sometimes. You, like the refs' job isn't to be friends with the players; it's just you got to call the calls, get it right. The, the players shouldn't be worried about whether the referee is on their side or not. I think also with Bunting, the biggest mistake that he made after coming into the league, uh, you know, he led the league in taking penalties, as you recall, as we all know, at the beginning of his career here in Toronto, he's done a, he's done a great job to draw penalties. And I think he has one little quality that he, that he, that he, I hope he fixes. And I think he has a little bit. It's that smirk after getting a guy to get a penalty. If you remember those first years and, and, and I'm sure the video or the picture of that is sent to the National Hockey League when a player gets a penalty against him that they feel is a dive or is something, you know, because that's what the accusation was, right? The reason he had so many penalties called against him was because he was good at making look like it was a penalty. And that little smirk when they get caught, you can't, you can only do it this many times, only zero times, because as soon as you do it once, that's a reputation. You're you're basically reinforcing what the opposition wants to happen, especially if you're the guy you're taking a lot of penalties against. And his aggressive nature is to distract the other team and to intensify a reaction from the other the opposing player so that they actually do take a penalty. So he needs to he needs to be a little more uh, a little more silent when it comes to as you said, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm also saying he should be silent when he gets a penalty called against somebody and you know he shouldn't look happy he should just go straight to the bench but he's an emotional guy yeah he is he is and let's just hope that that emotion can be in can remain in check when the when the, when the games do matter most in the playoffs because we know and you that. can't embarrass referees that smirk embarrasses a referee they see you do that after after you they call a penalty they're thinking to themselves okay and that's the last thing you can do to it. That's the one thing about National Hockey League. We lost a referee because of that. They can be, we know it's possible, they can be a little bitter. This is true. This is true. <laughs> well, I think that I think that will end our show today. Uh, thank you, Frank, for uh, joining me. My pleasure. Uh, so I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the Locked on These podcasts. You can subscribe to Locked on These podcasts on all podcast platforms and receive daily leaves content follow myself on twitter at d underscore morisuti and follow frank on twitter at canid frank live and follow the show at locked on leaves we'll be back with another episode friday where we'll get you set, set up for saturday's game against the edmonton Oilers, where they'll be hoping to get a little bit of revenge from the game last week but until then keep it locked right here on locked on leaves